Petrie Rahab will join for the sermon today. Our scripture chosen for today is a passage from the Gospel of Luke. I want you to listen to the contrasts in this passage. Contrasting visions which may actually open us up to new truths. So in doing that, we will be uh, taking that passage into our conversation today. But I want to tell you uh, just a couple of words before I read this passage about uh, Reverend Rahab and uh, why he is here today and some of my experience with him that will carry us into our conversation. I first encountered Mitri Rahab in the 1990s when I was uh, having lived in uh, Israel-Palestine in the mid-80s. I was back in the 90s with a group of pastors and we were visiting various leaders both in Israel and in Palestine and wrestling with what's happening there and where hope can be found. At one point a question was raised, beyond political conflict but not ignorant of it, is there a way of creating hope in light of the gospel? Is there a way to not avoid conflict but to see a vision larger and higher than conflict itself? to reframe possibilities, how to create new realities on the ground of life in response to the gospel. And the name Mitri Raheb came into the conversation. He was raised as an example of then a young, you're still young, aren't you? But <laughs> oh, yeah. then a young leader in historic Palestine, self-centered in Bethlehem, who was creating new realities of practical hope and possibility as a way of both pursuing justice, peace, and possibility in that land. We learned about the ministries of the Christmas Lutheran Church, where he was the pastor and still has strong ties now that you have moved on as you're sort of pastor emeritus there now, but uh, he was pastor at that time and the Christmas Lutheran Church founded in the 1850s just a couple years before Pinnacle, <laughs> you can laugh, and uh, how that congregation had been, it was increasingly involved in ministries to persons in need, health ministries in Bethlehem, and increasingly so in educational ministries, education as a means of empowerment in a land of people in need. That gave birth to a new university which came out of that ministry that where Dr. Rahab is now the president of now Dar al-Kalima University of Arts and Culture. You'll learn a little bit later, both this morning and later on this morning. This is the only university in the Palestinian territories specifically committed to arts and the preservation of culture as a witness of reconciliation. 25% of the students are Christian. 75% of the students are Muslim at the university. And they have now a remarkable, multi-leveled uh, ministry of education there in Bethlehem. We are honored that um, one student at Dar al-Kalima every year is supported by Pinnacle Presbyterian Church. After a group of pilgrims there in the beginning of 2018 who spent time in Bethlehem here from Pinnacle and came back and said, is there a ministry that we can partner with and support in that land to create a sustainable and hopeful future? and challenged to give support to Dar al-Kalima, and that has 
um, flourished into the Pinnacle Presbyterian Church scholarship there, and more opportunities you'll learn about later today if you can stay. So in light of that, I want to read to you from the 13th chapter of the Gospel of Luke, and then we'll go into conversation. May God bless to us the reading of God's Word. Jesus went through one town and village after another, teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, will only a few be saved? And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow door, for many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able. When once the owner of the house has got up and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock on the door, saying, Lord, open to us, then in reply the Lord will say to you, I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, We ate and drank with you, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I do not know where you come from. Go away from me, all you evildoers. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and you yourselves thrown out. Then people will come. Then people will come from east and west and north and south and will eat in the kingdom of God. Indeed, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Mitri, welcome to Pinnacle. Glad to have you back and among us. You have been here before, and, uh, and um, we are... Um, just last night, we had a group with you learning more about uh, the, your ministries in Bethlehem and about Bright Stars of Bethlehem, uh, that uh, is the American support group for your work. And today, right now, I want to talk a little bit about that scripture. And uh, it's the image of people gathering from east and west and north and south that draws me to that scripture and uh, invites me to think about that in light of your presence today. But we can't read that without that passage before it that seems to be a contradiction, that seems to talk about a very narrow path, seems to talk about people being excluded from God's realm and God's kingdom just before the vision of people coming in from all sorts of directions. I wonder, there in the land where Christ first was born, there in the land where hope was born, where our faith was born there in a land nevertheless where there are patterns of exclusion and separation. How do you hear that passage and those differing visions? How do you think about the narrow way and the broad inclusion? Yeah, thank you, Wes, for uh, having me here. It's great to be back uh, in this church. Uh, this is a great church, and uh, it's always uh, a pleasure to be with you all. Um, you know, when I hear this passage, the first image that comes to mind is uh, the narrow uh, gate or door to the Church of the Nativity. I'm not sure how many of you uh, were in Bethlehem and went through that narrow road. 
it's uh, uh, the door is maybe only two and a half feet high uh, and maybe two feet uh, wide um, and to go there you have to bow down um, and for me that image is uh, you cannot really take with you in there lots of luggage and package and so on. Uh, otherwise, you will be stuck, right? Um, and so you have to come as you are. No need for, for a lot of things to take with you. Uh, and for me, this is actually an image of, of God's grace that... Um, we can approach God, we don't need to prove anything, we don't need to have anything. We just come as we are and he accepts us. In that sense, actually, that narrow door doesn't contradict at all with people coming from east and west, north and west, because they can come as they are, irrespective of their cultural background, what language uh, they speak, if they are rich or poor, uh, whatever social uh, background they have, they can come as they are and they will be able to approach uh, the kingdom. So if the narrow way is a narrow door where all of the things that we carry with us that become our baggage won't fit, but only we ourselves can go through, does that, I wonder what, the east and the west and the north and the south are all sorts of baggages to all the baggages of our differences. All the things that make us think about ourselves as from the north or from the south or from the east or from the west. Yeah. All those things have to, be, have to go away so that right. we can encounter God as who we are in order to find the narrow way. Correct. But the other thing, I think, you know, it's uh, Jesus, the gospel says, was going from one village to, no, to the other. He was not going through towns or cities. He was going towards Jerusalem. And if you were living at the time of Jesus in Palestine and you went through the villages, these are very tiny, small homes and small doors. That is a contradiction to the large gates of Rome and the empire. In that sense, actually, this passage talks about the God of the small people, mm. the God of people who are among the oppressed, among the left. Uh, it's not the God of the empire uh, of Rome. There is also in that passage the statement, some who are first will be last and the last who are first. And I know that even while you minister in the first place of the gospel where Christ appeared among us that we celebrate at Christmas, you also ministry among people who feel sometimes that they are the last. Right. They are the last seen, the last cared for, the last tended to. How do you think about that contrast, the first and the last, as you create space for hope and possibility at the university? Yeah, actually, you know, as Palestinians, often we feel that uh, the world ignores us. You know, our story is not known. Uh, our voice is not heard. 
uh, our narrative is not listened to. Uh, and sometimes people get really depressed. Uh, and so often you hear, uh, uh, oh Lord, how long? <laughs> how long can, you, can we bear this? Um, and in that sense, this, this uh, first actually gives us, uh, you know, uh, uh, tells us uh, maybe the world has ignored us, but God did not. And this is why we have to engage uh, in creating room for hope uh, so that those people who feel they are last, they feel God's call that, no, they are not last. Uh, you know, God loves them, uh, and they are not forgotten. Uh, uh, and so this is really what we try to do in our ministry. So how is that Christian ministry? Uh, I mean, you know, a Christian ministry is not a ministry to the Christians. <laughs> Uh, it's a ministry for everyone. And as you said, our university is 76% uh, uh, are Muslims. And they come from all different uh, places. Uh, we have 15% uh, from refugee camps. Uh, we have 62% women uh, at the university. So almost two-thirds are women and one-third men. It's upside down, but this is how it should be, right? Uh, uh, and we can compete with any American universities in terms of gender, you know. Uh, but this is a statement also there, you know, uh, that uh, women uh, are fully included. Uh, they belong there, and they have to have the best education that is possible. Uh, they can be empowered. Uh, and so, in, you know, including all of these pieces, the refugee camp, uh, Muslims, Christians, uh, women, uh, poorer, uh, etc. This is how I see, actually, this passage translated into action. And why the arts? Why an emphasis on the arts? Yeah, a good question. You know, imagine a church without music. Right? It will be boring. <laughs> I wouldn't attend church if we don't have such a great choir and, you know, organ. I love the organ. Uh, and the flute and the piano. I mean, this is what makes church a church. And imagine the church without this beautiful piece, you know, that capture your imagination once you are there. Without the stained glass that you have there and in the chapel. There is no church without art. And when I started as a theologian writing and developing contextual theology, I felt it's easy to, to write theology, but it's much more difficult to create contextual art and contextual music. And so this is actually what got me going and thinking of establishing University of the Arts. That is one. But the other thing is that if you live in a context like Palestine, where every other year you have a war, you know, everything around you feels, you know, it's, you know, uh, so difficult. Uh, John Hopkins University did a study and found out that 85% of our people have some signs of depression. Art becomes a therapy.
it is so important. This is actually why we are starting next year the first master degree in arts therapy in the whole of Palestine. Because we want to reach, you know, to those people who, who feel all of this oppression and all of this depression and uh, to lift them up. Uh, that is very important. But also, art is really about identity. Uh, who are we? Uh, and how can we preserve our culture that uh, sometimes Israel is trying to confiscate or to take away from us, or just because of modernity, it might just go away. So preserving culture become uh, here uh, really very, very important. And last but not least, uh, you know, arts and culture provide our people with a new uh, tool for communication. When you see, for example, uh, films that our students are developing, they speak a different language. It's not going to, you know, a boring lecture about political realities, but very creative way they tell the story of the reality, but in a way that people will capture. And I think this is, this is a great opportunity for our young people. You're beginning a new program in hospitality. Can you tell us a little bit about that and the spirituality behind that? Yeah, I mean, hospitality, actually, again, we come back to the gospel. Everything is in this gospel today, sorry. <laughs> to say. But, but in that gospel, the, last, the, the sentence before the last, it talks about those people coming from east and west, north and west, and they are sitting on the table eating. It's interesting that every time Jesus wanted to talk about the reign of God, he talked about banquet, mm -hmm. wedding, table, food, right? It's hospitality. I mean, we heard it. Where is this uh, pineapple, <laughs> right? <laughs> Where uh, is this pineapple? Uh, yeah, so, uh, so it's hospitality. And for me, hospitality is really our spirituality. Uh, this is really what, what we find from Genesis all the way to... Uh, the last book in the, in the Bible, it's about hospitality. And so we want really to train our people, but also, if you live in Palestine, especially in Bethlehem, 70% of our economy depends on tourism. And you know, tourism, it's a lot about food, right? When you go abroad, you want to have good food. And so if we can train our people, we can create jobs, we can create for them a future, uh, and we can empower them actually uh, to, uh, to serve food in an artistic way. This is why we call it culinary art, right? It's an art. And uh, so this program now, uh, we are going into a capital campaign to build uh, this new uh, restaurant, training restaurant for our students. It's actually a light structure. It's a dome of glass with 360-degree visibility where you can see far away uh, and imagine being served there. So this is just, you know, advertisement for you to come uh, <laughs> next year to Bethlehem and to see and to try and to taste, taste how good the Lord is, right? This is what the Bible says. Thank you. We will share in that hospitality around the table this morning in communion. And on the way there, I'd like to pray. Can we pray together? God, we do pray with thanksgiving for the ministries 
of Christmas Lutheran Church of Dar al-Kalima University, of all those who serve you in troubled lands, that land and all throughout the world. We pray today with blessing upon Mitri, Rahab, and all those who work with him to be rays of hope. We pray today also for those who are under, in Florida who are uh, attempting the beginnings of recovery from devastation. We pray for those in Cuba and Puerto Rico in the same place. We pray for all those everywhere in the world who we don't even know today, who seek rays of hope in times of despair. And so we're grateful for seeing that through Mitri and all of their work and bless them and be with us as we gather around the table this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.